Okay, shut up. <laughs> you know what? 2018 is all about embracing being that bitch. I agree. I, I agree. How wonderful. Lynn Ramsey is that bitch. Lynn Ramsey she is, that bitch. is so that bitch. Before we get to Lynn Ramsey, yeah. should uh, we start with uh, with Milos Forman or Beychella? <laughs> Which would you rather do? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's lots let's to... talk we have Milos. A lot. Okay. Let's let's you know. <laughs> so More I've seen loss. five of his movies. So I can. Uh, that's my threshold for being able to say they're one of my favorite filmmakers, unless they have less films than that. So I can say he's one of my favorite filmmakers. You watched Amadeus last night. I watched part of it. It's three. I was, it, it's the director's long. cut. It's and very it's a long. Full three hours, but it's all worth it for the last shot of Salieri being carted out through a mental institution, <laughs> talking just... about Unsane in his wheelchair, <laughs> holding his hands up in the air, listening to the music in his head while the insane uh, inmates are like, "Ah, it's how so great!" Good. Oh, we should have done that for the Unsane episode. We <laughs> should have no. just for just for. The I haven't seen song. it. Like, I believe she gets interviewed in an insane asylum in Unsane, so... Yeah, yeah. There's crossover. I've only seen... We could have really talked about One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, though. Right, that actually makes sense. I mean, it's not a horror film. No, but it is... But it is It's like the prototypical mental institution film. Yeah. By the way, quickly, before we keep talking about Milos, but before I lose an opportunity to say this, I figured out who Claire Foy sounds like in Unsane. Tell us. It's Karen Crowder. (gasps) <gasps> You're right. She's she sounds Karen like Tilda Swinton doing an American accent, and I realized this watching. We need to talk about Kevin, Kevin last night, and mm-hmm. it, it, like it was driving me crazy. No joke intended there that I couldn't figure, figure out, out because it was such a familiar voice that's always ringing in I my head. I love this callback to a previous episode. Yeah, yeah we never I'm, do that. We never do that. <laughs> That's so funny, yeah, because I feel like Claire Foy in Unsane has like similar like business casual looks as mm. Karen Crowder. She is serving similar looks. <laughs> Lurks. Lurks. <laughs> Lurks. Mm. With a Q. Lurk. Yes. L-E-R-Q-Q-S. X. Correct. X. Oh. Lurks. Nice. Lurks. Um, yeah, I've only seen Cuckoo's Nest, so I'm... Yeah, now now's the time. I watch the director's cut. Some people may tell you the theatrical cut is better, but you can't even get it on Blu-ray, the theatrical cut. I'm doing the Isabella Pair shaking her head no yeah. in the Hollywood Reporter roundtable. No. Mm-hmm. This is the rare instance where the director's cut is my preferred version. Really? Is so. it three and a half or even it, longer? It's just, it's three. It's like, the oh, original oh. is like 220. I get to oh, luxuriate okay. in the Prague court with mm-hmm. the pink wigs and the horses' heads for yeah. another 25 minutes. Yeah. Oh, lock me up. Yeah. It's very, it's, 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 it's a lock wel- me up. It's, it's, a, it's a welcome extension. It's quite substantial. <laughs> it's quite <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Now I, I so need to. Milo, I'm not sure how many Milo Forman films I've seen, but I will say. Well, you love Larry Flint, right? I love The People vs. Larry That's Flint. That's one I haven't seen. No, I mean, I don't, I obviously don't love it more than Goya's Ghosts. No, I don't love it more than Cuckoo's Nest or Amadeus, obviously, but. In terms of just, like, free speech movies, it's mm. one of the best. Mm. Courtney Love should have been nominated yeah, for an Academy Award. She nominated. really flourishes under Foreman's direction. It's Cuckoo's Nest and Amadeus, even though they have such controlled environments, are mm. just so, like, they're just splashing all over the frame, like, their characters in the world. It's like, Foreman definitely has a level of control, but I also think he allows, like, life to happen in yeah. his frames, and so they become messy. And People versus Larry Flint just, like, descends into... 
chaos at a certain point and it's matched with these courtroom scenes so like sort of the uh juxtaposition Mm -hmm. uh is very compelling and it's woody harrelson's best performance that was like at that was like the first time people took him seriously as Mm -hmm. as an actor yeah actor when i look at him now uh i just want to say about milos forman that uh, a lot of people use the word Humanist, when they really just mean that the camera has a documentary style. Yes. But Milos Forman is the person I think of when I think of the word humanist, and he's the best there ever was at it. And I just, I will miss him. I will too. And I'm, I'm not that he's like was still working, but no, yeah. But part of the reason why we could probably list every single character in the ensemble of One Flavor of the Cuckoo's Nest right mm-hmm. now, and we probably couldn't do that with. What's a movie we all saw recently? Like Unsane. Unsane. Yeah. Yeah, couldn't tell you who's in that. And it's it's because he he has an affection, similarly to Jonathan Demi, I guess, like mm-hmm. for the human face and telling his story, especially with an ensemble, through close ups, through two shots, through wide shots, like through dirty and for shots. My, my papa, John Cassavetes. Yeah, of course. There's a there's a heritage there. And there's a the Papa John who doesn't discriminate. Yeah. Oh. 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 <laughs> oh. Order Domino's. Domino's. You can Venmo us twenty dollars. I love Domino's. <laughs> the two mix and match five ninety nine deal. The best of the, the pizza. Absolutely. Places. And that mix and match deal has been around for years. Like I we just do that in college. Mm. It's mm. great. I don't mm. order it mm. as much Tiffany as I had used to. Mm. 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 Have you guys heard about the Tiffany the Haddish crust? HBO mm. show? No. It's like about like. Go on. Like black women and Instagram fame and like behind the scenes of that. Is it doc or is it narrative? It's, I think it's narrative. I and hope it's I'm happening. I hope I'm is not talking airing? out of turn. Or is it just being made? Will it drop on the air? Let me look. Sign's first look deal with HBO. Un unsubscribed. That's examination of female blackness, beauty, and identity through a behind-the-scenes look at the Instagram hustle. That like, great. sign me the fuck up. I'm in for that. Anyway, why did I bring up Tiffany? Tiffany oh, because we did the- mm. <laughs> Tiffany Haddish is quickly becoming the hardest working woman in Hollywood. Did you see she's already on a poster with some Kevin Hart movie? Yeah, she's. It's it's like called Recess or After School <laughs> Detention or Free Period. It's this. like definitely one Hall of those. Pass. No, no that's, that's the else. that's the that's the wow Owen Wilson wow. movie. Um, no, it's it's basically one of those, but the poster is like I saw it hanging at ArcLight. It's like Tiffany Haddish like crossing her arms. Yes, and, I, yeah. it's and called Night School. It's night called Night School. school. Oh, Ke- my God. Kevin Hart has to go to night school, and she's the goddamn teacher. Oh my God! Uh-huh. I just remember, and then after... she's on the last OG with right now. With Tracy. She's on what? She's on the last OG with Tracy Morgan. Oh yeah. Oh TBS um, program. When uh, she was on Very the funny. podcast The Business, when Girls Trip came with out, Kim Masters with Kim Masters. And Kim Masters was like, so what do you want to do next? And Tiffany was like, well, I want to do this. 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 And I want to do this. And she had like 70 ideas. <laughs> and now she, she's already making cameos in movies. Yeah. I don't know what the really? basketball movie is. It's based on some commercial. All, all these NBA players are. Is it based it, on the Kobe Bryant documentary? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. But like all these NBA players are dressing up in old man drag and uh, like play basketball. It's called like Uncle Buck or something. Oh, I think it I looks mind numbingly shitty. Three movies but in pre-production. She, she like on has IMDb. the cameo. She has like the with credit already. Less than a year oh, after Girls Trip. I love that. She is just she announced the fucking Oscars. Hustling. She sure did. Um, She's two in post-production, including Night School. Yeah. The Lego Movie and sequel. Uncle Drew. Uncle Drew. 
This will be the first and last time the motion picture Uncle Drew is discussed on the Movies IMO podcast. On this pod. Um, oh yeah, they are in old man makeup. Yes. Um. Oh, great. Sorry, we segued into Tiffany and I don't know where. No, it's fine. We can go to Beachella if we want to discuss the line between theater and cinema. Yes. Well, can Ooh. I Can I make, if you're going to, can I give my, yes. what yes. I already said? Yes. So I believe this with no irony, but the choreography to single ladies is the bridge between cinema and theater. And the reason why that is, is because the music video for single ladies, which of course is so iconic, it's in that striking it's black and white. One of the greatest music videos of all time. All time. That, I'm going to let specifically, you finish. Yeah, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to let you finish, but how's that for an outdated reference? Oh. The single ladies music video is about three bodies in motion and their relation to the space. There's like zooming in and out. We tighten in like the camera is doing a lot of work, but it's just against this like white backdrop and these three women's bodies with this immaculate choreography that depending on if we're zooming, if we're, if we're wide, how those bodies are taking up space in the frame. And it's with this spectacular, like instantly iconic choreography where... You know, we watch movies for light, sound, motion, all those things. That's all encapsulated in the way these bodies are moving in the frame. And then you watch Beychella last night. You see the iconic number, all the same moves, but through the lens of live entertainment. And you can feel, like, as a pure spectacle in that regard, it is still so technically flawless Mm -hmm. and creative some of the some of the bounces and some of the like what, what she's doing with her arms have always just thrilled me <laughs> anyway so yes it is the it is the bridge between cinema and theater mm-hmm. i love that it just brought me so much joy at 1 a.m and i tweeted mm-hmm. this last night uh like i can't imagine for the east coasters staying up Mm-hmm. And seeing the Destiny's Child reunion at four in the morning, you're yeah. just like delirious watching Bleary-eyed. this thing, and it must have just felt like otherworldly. Yeah. Well, when they sang "Say uh, Say My Name," Say My Name, I was it, like, "Holy shit!" We I mean, we've been talking forever. Like, when's the Destiny's Child reunion gonna happen? And I could not believe my eyes. Like, Did you it believe? Was- it was happening in front of my there eyes. There it was. I had just finished We Need to Talk About Kevin, and I was thinking to myself, what a palate how cleanser. the hell <laughs> am I going to recover? It's basically bedtime, so mm-hmm. I I guess I'll watch the comeback or something. And then I watched uh, I watched Beychella instead, and then I watched the comeback. The effortlessness of her entire body is insane. I don't... And you know that so much effort has gone into it, and I understand... 15 months. Yeah. She was a, uh, like that the rehearsal process for this was more intense than most of her rehearsal processes. Yeah. So, and it shows. shows. There's no work on the stage, you know? it. The fact that it seems both flawless... I don't want to say it seems effortless because you can see how hard she's working. Right. Uh-huh. But she does it like she's walking the fucking store. Yeah, yeah. like she's rehearsed like she's the hell out She's pumping gas into her car. Like, it's an everyday thing for her. Yeah. yeah. And I don't understand how you condition the human body... To have that level of endurance for two hours while also singing and not missing a note. And yeah. when she sings Love on Top to close out the set and begins uh-huh. a cappella, the pitch is perfect. She's perfect. She she's... should be turning her head and panting, and yet she's turning her head and beaming to the audience. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, like the way she like would like smile or like have like a tone inflection. Like yeah. she's acting and singing and dancing and performing and like mm-hmm. it's she's the best. I tweeted earlier today that... Uh, she's a quadruple threat. She's to match the greatest before. artist alive, and I don't just mean musical, mm-hmm. just period, full artist. stop, artist. Mm-hmm. 
And part of it is just the reach, and part of it is her that she was a hardcore entertainer for 15 years, and then it was like she had a baby, and that like broke open her soul, and now she has like, she's doing so much for culture, for women, for history, and she's pushing things forward. And she and Jay-Z personally, like, bailed out of jail like hundreds of Ferguson protesters. And I just think she's wonderful. Yeah. I do, too. I agree. I love her. When everybody would talk about how cozy the Obamas were, mm-hmm. and by everybody, I mean the right and Fox News, about how cozy the Obamas are with Beyonce and Jay-Z. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, of course they are. They're also world leaders. Yeah. Like, <laughs> in, in the story. Uh, duh. It's not like having Frank Sinatra to the fucking White House. It's... Beyonce runs the world. Yeah. Run the world. (laughs) Girls. I said this off mic already, but I was just living for the marching band. Mm. And the tubas. Oh, Brandon. Brandon is the marching band. The marching band really especially got me lit. It spoke to you. It spoke to me. Brandon, what was your favorite? Give it up for my male dancers. Yes. (laughs) And Brandon Nowak, friend of the pod, Brandon Nowak tweeted, I've been trying. (laughs) (laughs) Like, the whole, like, high leg step, like, suck my balls, like, holy shit. Like, apparently she was paying tribute to, like, the first, what was it, Black Fraternity or something, something? Uh, I saw I that know. on Twitter. I didn't like, that's what, the, the costume. that's what the costume was. I could be wrong. I don't, I don't know. know. I could watch Beyonce quickly cock her head to the left, sending her hair flying to the direction while also bouncing up and down yeah. mm-hmm. any fucking day of the week. It's like we have the term hierography, and, and no one is better at that than Beyonce. She, she has got it she, down to a science. She knows the way exactly she flips her head. How to get the hair us. out of her face. Yes. yes. With, she gets it out in a second. And she's I mean, doing it frequently throughout the whole show. Yeah. Is but it's Asia so... O'Hara coming for the crown by blowing mm. up those Tweety Bird bangs? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. But yes. as last night showed, Beyonce is still on the top of her game, and Asia will have to wait. So I was watching this with... Um, Joe, my roommate at 1 a.m. And my um, straight friend who was in town mm-hmm. was ready for bed. Like, he was like just crossing in front of us. But he stopped. He was ready player done. He was ready player done. But he stopped at that one shot of Beyonce where she like puts her legs. She's basically doing the splits. Mm-hmm. And you know what? You know, yes. and she's like dragging her like vagina against like a bleacher. He stops dead in his tracks and goes, Oh wow! <laughs> and then kept going. Oh wow! Oh wow! <laughs> kept Indeed. <laughs> but he did keep going. I was I was surprised he didn't decide to sit down and enjoy. Same. I mean, how could you not? I can't wait to see her live. I was ready to go to bed. Uh, too. Are you going? September. We've talked about this. I, he, I, we I both got invites, and I think we both declined. Well, yeah. I I well, I saw the Miss Carter. Neither of you responded. I saw the Miss Carter tour, and it was worth all three digits of what I paid for it. Woo. But I, you know, I would love to see her again, but I, you know, I can't, I can't spend that kind of money. It would be two digits per ticket. Oh, excuse me? Yeah, you didn't hear that detail? Huh? I How believe, much? I believe I paid 130 total for two tickets. Are you... Okay, we'll talk off mic. Yeah. Because I, and I... Oh, maybe we'll fight Is she at the Rose Bowl? <laughs> yeah. She's I'm just, I'm just making Bowl. prolonged eye contact with them. <laughs> After seeing I this, I could go to your house and then we could lift there. We could pregame at my house. Okay, take it to DM sluts. <laughs> well, maybe I know it's it's phrase. not my week. It's not my week, but maybe we could take it from one flawless queen to another. Oh, since we've been recording from 20, 20 minutes now, well, we had a lot to catch up on. Yeah, 
in been, life and culture in, in, in the past culture. 36 <laughs> hours not even like this week in culture no this all just happened yeah a lot um, rest in peace milos Forman. rest in peace the rest of us after Beychella. Mm-hmm. yes and now um, we are a podcast we are here today to talk about Oh yeah, who are we? What's the name of the show? I don't know who I am. Get a hold of yourself, Brandon. <laughs> oh, we got some slapping going. Well, now it's I'm holding very, smelling salts underneath. It's a very violent to revive film. Him, so, films. We're gonna get the hammer. <laughs> Hashtag bring the hammer. Bring the hammer. When I walked into the ArcLight Cinema, paying eighteen dollars to see this feature, I'm just gonna keep repeating that I support female filmmakers with eighteen dollars down. And and going to the theater and distribution. Fuck you, Netflix. <laughs> Kirby is paying full price. Full price, baby. When I walked in and I saw the the you were never really here props laid out, I was like, wow. And then I saw hashtag bring the hammer, and, and I was like, like the what mom's the glasses. It was his hat, the titular hammer. It's not titular, <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> it's the titular hammer. <laughs> Duct tape. And like I don't know, does he have a, like a, some? What's another weapon he uses? Uh, the mom's glasses, bloodied and like broken, are definitely one of them. Grape and orange soda, <laughs> cans of Probably. grape and orange soda. Yes, um, but I, I love just, that he's concerned about options for the child. He is. I thought those options were for himself, and, I I was, and then when he offered them to the girl, I was like, "What a kind That's man!" That's the joke, I think, that you are supposed to think. Oh, he's just like stocking up. Are there jokes in this movie? Yes. Yeah. Jeez, I okay. So what you didn't were you watching? No. Oh, I did. I, I think it's very funny. There's levity to the movie. I think it's the whole scene where the waitress is like, "Have a good day." Oh no, I'm not saying that. I mean, that to me was ironic. It's, I mean, it was. A I think there are definitely movie. jokes. I'm not saying that it's humorless. I'm saying that I was so overwhelmed with feelings of depression and post-traumatic stress disorder. It's a lot to squeeze in humor. Anyway, what is the name of our podcast? This is Movies IMO. I am Ben MP. I'm Daniel Crook. I'm Brandon Kirby. We are here today to talk about Lynn Ramsey's fourth feature in 20 years. You were never really here. It could have been her sixth had she done The Lovely Bones? Had she done Jane's Got a Gun? What's oh. the story behind Jane's Got a Gun? She, she, she did sh- not show up. <laughs> I forgot the first day of shooting. She Queen. did not show. I forget who the Queen financier indeed. was, but they were fucking around with the contract. Yeah. And so... And, and I can and just Lynn imagine... And Lynn Ramsey did not have to be there for yeah. that studio film. Business, strat, business uh, affairs people are just like... Oh, she'll make the movie. Like, we'll sort this all out. Like, we're still not going to give her a final cut, but she'll make the movie. And then she's like, not just am I an artist, but I'm a bit of a shock jock. So Mm -hmm. I'm just not going to show on day one. Stunt queen. Stunt queen Lynn Ramsey. Not coming. Also queen of alien industrial sounds. And who ended up directing it? Gavin O'Connor. Yikes. Uh, Yikes. Tell you what, if you're putting Gavin O'Connor... Gavin O'Connor in one corner, corner and Lynn Ramsey in another corner. My warrior is Miss Lynn Ramsey. Same. And that's what I'm talking about. So, You Were Never Really Here debuted at Cannes last year in an unfinished form. My understanding is Amazon submitted it and then she found out when she saw the Cannes posting online. Yeah. And she was like, oh. <laughs> Uh, See you there. And it went on to win. It won Best Screenplay and Best Actor for Joaquin Phoenix. Yes. It was one of the last movies they screened. No, I had a tweet last year where it was like, 
all of can like well everybody it's been a good year we can wrap it up and then lynn rams in that meme of the woman like walking through the door i'm mm-hmm. like yeah mm-hmm. yeah she, hey. she took the quasette by storm at the she last did. minute she sure did uh the plot of this movie i'm just gonna read it from imdb oh, yeah because it's because it's funny uh a, <laughs> trauma- a traumatized veteran comma unafraid of violence comma <laughs> Tracks down missing tracks down missing girls for a living. When a job spins out of control, Joe's nightmares overtake him as a conspiracy is uncovered, leading to what may be his death trip or his awakening. Here's what's now fun about that's a punchy synopsis. And what I love about that synopsis is that in no point in the film is any of that spoken aloud. It is no. all told through yes. performance, through the strong direction, through Lynn Ramsey's uncanny ability to tell a story through audiovisual compositions. It's so, well, she truly invented God. sound. Yeah, she. That's and, your bit. Yeah, Morvan Caller <laughs> is the first piece of sound cinema to ever exist, and I believe that's true. And you can fact check me on that. And that's like before Ratcatcher. Like this is her second film, and she didn't yeah. invent sound cinema until her second film, her and, sophomore feature. In Ratcatcher, when the kids twirling himself in the fabric, and then all of a sudden it's like, bam. You're like, oh my. Hey! I mean, ah! it's... So I I was uh, watching Ratcatcher this morning. I'd already seen You Were Never Really Here. And there's a lot... So we're going to talk about... I'm going to insist that yes. we talk at length about every single one. Our theme for the week is just Lynn, Lynn Ramsey. motherfucking Ramsey. So we all went Bring to hammer. dark places for a full week. And I have never felt more alive. Honestly, same. same. But Ratcatcher, All of our recently viewed is like, oh fuck. I broke it up with Barry Lyndon, which might and I be you, my you new really favorite movie of all time. Let's not yeah. forget, I saw it twice within 24 hours. I'm I, The minute the I credits would, rolled, I was like, I'm ready to see it again. Yeah. It has that propulsive quality. Yeah, I didn't feel quality. that way. I needed I needed a few hours. I mean, I needed a night of sleep, and I needed to talk about it in therapy. And then on the way home from therapy, I cried about the movie. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, I'm ready to watch it I again. just, I, that's funny you cry, because I walked out of it after the credits rolled, and I had to sit. Usually I just leave after the credits. I mean, yeah. that's rude. I should stay. I, I used, stayed. No, I stayed too. I used to stay, and then I stopped staying, because I just had places to be. But, but this one, like, <laughs> Brandon Kirby, <laughs> faggot about town. I just got, girl I on town. Oh, gotta go. I gotta go. I got places to be. Um, but no, this, I sat through the credits and then walking out, I like, I teared up a little bit. Just like, I couldn't even place like what emotion I was feeling or what was going on. Yeah, I had like, no idea if I, th- I was like, this definitely struck a chord with me, but I couldn't tell you if I think it's a good movie or a bad movie yet. I, oh, really? Yeah. I, I didn't even realize how invested I was in, in this movie until Joe was returning his mother to the womb mm. by carrying her body into the water. And then I was so overwhelmed with emotions and I can feel myself tearing up. And it's only then that I realized like, oh, I've, I've been taking a ride here. Like yeah. I, I have shape been, of water wishes. I didn't know. Lynn Ramsey is obsessed. She's obsessed with the shape of water. And what I was going to say she? is not in the movie with the actual shape of water. Cause Ratcatcher has the water yes! moment. Ratcatcher oh. not only has the, the little dead boy wrapping him before he's, dead wrapping himself up in the curtains and we can see his like breath bringing in the curtain towards mm-hmm. his mouth and out and then the whole drowning subplot it's like she has had these same fixations <laughs> while yeah her while, entire yeah. career while we're on this yeah. topic that's the opening shot of rat catcher yes and then the opening shot of you were never really here is joaquin with the plastic bag on yeah. his head yeah and the opening shot of uh, we need to talk about Kevin. Is the billowing yes. sheet, which we will later curtain. learn is is revealing Tilda's character realizing that her husband and daughter have been shot. Killed. 
It's, it's the same Lynn image Ramsey, queen that of elliptical storytelling for auto erotic asphyxiation. When I saw We Need to Talk About Kevin for the first time, I thought it was a good movie, but I watched it yesterday for the second time and I thought it was a fucking masterpiece. I'm here to tell same you, here. Number 10 on my best of I I had the same experience as you. The first time I watched it, I didn't get it. Yeah. I also watched it with my parents. I was young. Yes. <laughs> it was 2011. You weren't that young. I mean, I was, was twenty two. I, I was an adult. I was not ready for Lynn Ramsey. Yeah, I was life. just, I was just like, holy And I hadn't fuck. seen any of other movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that Lynn Ramsey's films have such a gripping, like throttling level of immediacy to mm-hmm. them. What I love about when you talk about Kevin is that it's a film told in memory for the most part, but yeah. that you never lose that sense of immediacy. Yeah, yeah. Which a lot of what I love about Lynn Ramsey is that she she's a study in contrasts. Her movies seem very alien, and yet they are viscerally intimate. Yeah. And then, like I said, when you talked about Kevin, is so fixated on the past while being upsettingly present in every detail. Um, when um, I'm not going to speculate mm-hmm. on what and the brutal. rest of the world, the world, what the rest of the year is going to bring us, but like this is going to be a fierce competitor for not even my top ten, but for number one. This was the first. Yeah, it's definitely number one. So last year right I tried now. when I was going to post my top ten uh, films of the year. I just wanted to take a picture of my ten ticket stubs uh, for those films, and you were never really here. Is the first ticket stub I have saved. Nice. Twenty eighteen. So I'm yeah. right there with you. It's like, yeah, it's it's definitely number one. It's like up here. It's really it's gonna yeah. like you said you made a Facebook status like the it, bar has, the been, bar has set. been set. Yeah, it dethroned. Sorry to bother you for me, mm. which mm. we haven't seen. Yeah, yet. that's not out yet, Danielle. Yeah, oh, Danielle. D- do our listeners not know that I attended and worked for the Sundance Film Festival wow. last year? I uh, saw Sundance. <laughs> <laughs> I saw Sundance Anybody feature Madeline's Madeline. What? Which is a five star and a heart for me. Wait, did you oh, see that for work or yet. did you see it? A... It was for twerk at the time. Mm. Oh, okay, all right. Um, I told you guys I saw that, didn't I? Yes, I forgot about it though. There was like four minutes in therapy yesterday where my therapist was at, like, we were chatting and like he was asking me about my week and he was like, You're not present. What are you thinking about? And I was like, I have to talk about this movie I saw last night. And I was like, I've, I've been trying to not because it feels like a waste of time. But he was like, No, if it's on your mind, let's get into it. And then, you know, how I does made, he, sorry, what? And then it made me cry because oh. we talked about how I related to my I, so life. How I, I, random. Well, how I'm just curious. Like this is probably an off mic conversation, but whatever. <laughs> I think you, I think you have the question that I was about to ask inappropriately. How does how does your therapist respond? Like, does he just let you talk, or does he like engage back when you like talk about a movie you saw? You know, he responds. Yeah. And it's helpful. It is. He's not just like, oh, that sounds interesting. I've seen Joaquin Phoenix in a movie once. <laughs> no. You really hated your old therapist. <laughs> I had bad luck with therapists. One of my therapists just like talked about the plot of Bad Robot for a while because I was sitting what? there. I was sitting there with my hood up. And she was like, you, <gasps> Mr. Robot? <laughs> she, what did I say? Bad Robot. Uh, JJ Binks's <laughs> production company. Sorry. That's still very funny. I knew you meant Miss Robot. I didn't she, think you were wrong. She was just, she was just <laughs> like, you know who you look like right now. I'm watching this show, and it was oh, literally because God. I had my hood up. That's not allowed. That's like saying this movie is the new Taxi Driver. Wait, can, should we just, you know, okay. just get that out of the way? Sorry, or? just actually, we are yeah. half an hour into this. We have like we are just well, dude, we're having. We're, we're, we're also like ten minutes into the conversation around this movie. I so know. okay, you're right. Time. I'm just like the trailer. 
which neither of you have seen for no. you were never really here, uses it says the taxi driver quote taxi driver of the modern right. era right, or right, whatever right. yeah and, and but i don't agree and so it's like i get it i want ben to Baseline. say why it upsets him first and then i'm going to agree with him while also saying it is it a just, totally valid pull quote to use it but, is yeah but it upsets me deeply <laughs> and i'm going to rip my kitchen table apart um and i thought about ben is rolling up his sleeves i almost watched taxi driver and the searchers last night so i could just destroy this comparison <laughs> because if we're talking about modern day interpretations of the searchers silence is a much better example of that and mm-hmm. taxi driver is the original example of that and the thing that is like on the surface level both movies are about a veteran with ptsd i mean it's not quite as explicit in taxi driver that he adds that emotional issue but trying to save a young... The political context a, is there, though. Yeah. Taxi driver. A young girl in a sexual entanglement with an adult... Adults. Uh, and it's very... And they're both very violent. But Taxi Driver's a movie of obsession. And it's a movie about being dead inside and totally unable to connect with another human being. And desperately trying to be the hero of the story. Yes. And you are never really here. There is no indication that he cannot connect with another human being. In fact, he loves his mom. He cares too much. He cares too much. And he's deeply depressed. That's not an absence of human emotion. Mm. He's not a sociopath the way that Travis Pickle is. He is not. He knows that it's the right thing to rescue the girl when he wants to kill himself but he's not obsessed with finding her for his like personal reason yeah mm-hmm. whether you choose to believe that travis bickle shoots himself at the end of the rampage and taxi driver uh-huh. a key difference between the characters own uh ptsd and depression is that you believe that joe would take his own life at any minute and with travis bickle it's not going to happen until he finally achieves this level of uh, epic heroism mm-hmm. that in his own warped mind. Yeah, like he 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 is not going to depart from this mortal coil until he has proven that he is this god. Yeah. Whereas Joe is someone who is haunted by his past, uncertain about his future, and both characters are surrounded by this inevitable um, cycle of violence. Mm-hmm. And where where I do th- and and I I agree with everything you said. Like I said, I was going to where I do think there's this extra level about why you can say that taxi drive. It's like a taxi driver for our times. I think if you look at our sort of cultural mood consciousness at the moment, I think taxi driver speaks very well to the disillusionment of veterans coming back to Vietnam and finding a uh, an inhospitable Vietnam, an inhospitable, unwelcoming environment around them. And how do you adjust to that? And blah, 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 blah. That's very fair. Yeah. But in, in, you were never really here. It's just this prolonged numbness all of it. Mm-hmm. So Joe served overseas. We get brief little flashbacks, but mm-hmm. he probably wasn't like mission accomplished era soldier. He was probably like six years into the conflict level right. soldier. So there's this, again, like this numbness to it, like this idea of what's the point. And it's, it's not about a clash between his soft perspective and a hard, or no, it's more of like his soft perspective versus a hard world than it is his hardened self coming back from world from the war mm-hmm. in, in, in sort of a conflict of disgust. Yeah. Speaking of numbness and the Middle East, I saw it two hours after we started bombing Syria. 
And I mm. and I was like in a fucking mood. Yeah. And I always feel weird about like national and international crisis situations because I have like a specific rule to not tweet about it. But then I keep tweeting about other things, and I'm like, I know people think I'm heartless, but I just like I can't. You tweet can't. About this. Can't engage with it. Yeah. Yeah. I just get angry. Yeah. I just have to like. I mean, all of the news this past week, I've mm-hmm. just, I've shut myself, I've reached a limit, and I just shut myself off to all of it. Mm-hmm. I'm not even, like, caught up on, Yeah, I mean, I just, Comey's doing an interview tonight or something. Well, fuck yeah, that. He has a book out. Yeah. Opportunist shill. I'm so fucking done with James Comey, but that's yeah, a whole other he story. Could, he could shut up right but, about now. Yeah, all the but, articles about Hillary Clinton need to go away. Go away. James Comey. She's not the president. Go away. Thanks to James Comey, she's not the president. Correct. Oh, sorry, I had to bring that up because I know that no, that has colored and the thing about this, how I the thing about this, this Syria film. bombing yeah. is that it wasn't even effective as a deterrent against mm-hmm. the Syrian government. And so when we talk about just... <sighs> for lack of a better word, because now I'm angry, just like stupid maneuvers by our government, whether it's Bush, Obama, or now Trump, like in conflict in the Middle East, there is no, there is, there will never be a mission accomplished to it. And so that same numbness, I think is what carries over into, it's just like, yeah, Joe's perspective. Did we not learn 50 years ago that proxy wars against Russia in other countries don't do anything? No, of course Didn't not. Didn't we learn a hundred years ago that nationalism 60% of millennials don't know what Auschwitz is. Hundreds of people, hundreds of thousands of people dying, millions of people dying if we count World War II as an extension of World War One, And I'm just No, because all, all people care about is having a can. They just want to vote for a candidate for president who they think tells it like it is and is not politically correct and he's going to buck the establishment. That's what we got. And then and then and then you get a reckless leader. He talked about jobs, said Roseanne. (laughs) We got it, Roseanne. We we've seen the cookies with burnt gingerbread men. This is this isn't the gaslighting episode. No, that was last week. Don't bring up Roseanne because it's everything I can do not to be like you have betrayed Roseanne Connor. Um, You became a batshit crazy conspiracy theorist. Roseanne Connor wasn't that. Roseanne no. Connor actually cared about her neighbor. And for you to... It's deeply upsetting. It's have, deeply have upsetting. either of you watched the new Roseanne? No, I, I won't. Then what's, what is it? Because I've heard both now. So Here's, what is it? Here is what I have to say about Roseanne. And I... The show or the human? The show. Okay. It gives, like, human drama still in the way that the original Roseanne show did and I cannot blame ABC for renewing it especially because the numbers are insane insane. but when it gets to political stuff I want to kill myself (laughs) but it's just like I heard the second episode backs off it's, it's sort of like the Will and Grace reboot did, but yeah, the other side of that. Yes. Right. But they went full political. The and the other spectrum. and the thing about yeah. compared to the Will and Grace reboot is that like the Roseanne reboot is funny and Will and Grace reboot is not. Oh, I chuckle. Oh. I mean it's dumb I mean, chuckles. And I know politically Roseanne, but I was never not going to watch it. And yeah. I just I have accepted that about my soul and <laughs> Uh, I hate it. And Lynn Ramsey. I hate... <laughs> yes. Just kidding. I was just going to say, smart Lynn women. Ramsey accepts our like, soul. Well, I don't know where I was going I just, with that. I'm just... Every time I see it, I'm like, everyone who's on this show with her, 
Like, they're going to have to do another season now. And yeah. I know... Poor Laurie Metcalf. Yes, poor Laurie right. Metcalf. Who's made to be, like, a caricature of the pussy hat. Mm-hmm. And Which isn't great, Bob, right? No. And it's it's really frustrating. Oh, I don't know. I have really complicated feelings. And I do have to watch it because I just have to watch it. Yeah. I, I remember you telling me that. So I wanted to hear it from someone who's actually watched it. I just, like, muted the word Roseanne on Twitter without mm-hmm. having watched it. So I don't really know. I was just annoyed. I'm just choosing not to engage because this is going to make me angry. I yeah. wish I could. No, I mean with this conversation. Oh, I'm, I'm sure. Not, I'm, I'm oh, yeah, f- yeah. Finish your conversation, but I can't contribute to this because I'll just get angry. Um, but I, um, just taking us back to the movie. I just want to. Talk Lynn to Ramsey, um, you were never really here. I wish I was never really here. <laughs> Same. <laughs> I Lynn Ramsey, this... we are your friends. <laughs> you, you love that. Title. Okay, we are 18 minutes into talking about it, and I have a question. All right. Okay, and then we got to talk about form. Can we talk about quickly about the strand of grandma hair coming out oh! of the bag? It's, you know, Steven Soderbergh did it with What production and... design? Was, what did the dad know and when did he know it is my question. And was he involved or was he killed? Did I... he kill himself because he... We're talking about State Senator McCleary? Yes. Is he the one that we find out... Or no, not McCleary. It's Vado or something? Yes. Oh, the dad. The, the dad, dad gets killed. Or he did kills he, himself. Did he, does he, kill, he jump off the bridge? Did or he kill he himself or? out of shame for having let his Prost- daughter... Yeah, right. pimped out his daughter. For yeah, the governor? Or the governor. was he killed because he found... Because the governor found out that he was trying to save his daughter? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't care. I think it works either way. It I think does. It, I think it does work either way. I that that that. But I know this movie is so not interested. In right, which is actually what I love partly about the movie is that. But I just want any other movie yeah. gets any heart. other movie would get obsessed with the details of the conspiracy. All we know is is Joe is double crossed and it goes all the way to the top. Mm-hmm. But his only objective is taking care of hit. I would say his and hers, but just his folks and himself and that little girl. And when they come after his family, that's when it becomes even more personal. He's like on a straight line of righteous vengeance. Mm-hmm. And I just love that the movie doesn't get bogged down in, in the, like the, who the went, details. Who, who knew what when yeah. of the conspiracy. I love that, that any too. other movie would just die, no pun intended, dive straight into. Yeah. Even Michael Clayton does. Yes, yeah. but that's a, that's a you know, conspiracy thriller. That the, yeah. That's what that movie is about. Yeah. The, um... The scene where he finds the governor, right? Like, with his throat slit, yeah. and then he just, like, collapses. Spoilers. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when do we not? Um, and when he, when Joaquin Phoenix just sits down and, like, takes his, takes shirt, his shirt off, off and just, like, has that breakdown. Oh, fuck. That's, that's when I realized I was emotionally invested. It was later than that's, drowning. Well, it's That's when it became a five-star film for me. So much about this movie, it, it's about trauma, but it's about the trauma that builds up and that you carry and the toll it takes on your body, on your spirit. We see all those scars on his body, just the bags under his eyes, the fact that he's just like roaming sadly through this world because he's so bogged down by what he's seen and what he's perpetrated and what he's witnessed, blah, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. That when he does take off his shirt and just sob and have that moment of catharsis, that's the release that the entire movie has been building up towards. And then he's still sad afterwards. Like, well, it's I read it a different way. Please. I think he gets there. He realizes 
he could have already been dead. He was never really here. He didn't need to be there. And it's just like he has realized. And I think it's a statement on humanity that like, and this is what I connected with about it. Is uh-huh. It's about that we are just, it's like, I'm going to make a drag race analogy. Okay. When Blair St. Clair said of Aquaria recently, she works and works, but there's no garment. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, but then Aquaria won the challenge. I know. <laughs> but it's like, we... I, and I often feel this way about myself. It's just like I'm working and working and working, and I know in my heart it doesn't mean anything. And I know no one will care. I will die someday. And that's what this movie is about. Well, I feel, no, I yeah. feel that. And, and I'm not saying that my read is mutually exclusive to yours. Like, part of it is that he does have one purpose now, and which mm-hmm. is that in order to stand up for his life, his loved ones, his entire purpose, mm-hmm. he has to go and kill this governor and rescue the child. And then he gets there, and everybody's already dead. Like, he will never get to achieve yeah. that purpose that he feels right now. Like he will never get to be in control of the situation. And there's something about realizing that that is also very painful. Yeah. That that, that ultimately you are just one person. And there's a billions. movie about such like a deep emotional pain. Yeah. Yeah. Like I can't get about over vacancy, it. Yeah. about emptiness. And I what I love so much about this movie is that it's interested in aftermath and that we we see spaces after people. The last shot of the film is a space that people have left and the mess that they leave behind that someone else will then have to clean up. Mm-hmm. Um, but also just you know in in a lesser filmmaker's hands it would feel like visual um, gimmickry gimmick a, a gimmick. Um, Gimmickry? Gimmickry, thank Is you. Is that a word? No, it's gimmickry, I think. I'm like, there's no T in this. Gimmick. It's a gimmick, anyway. That, like, that Joaquin, like, disappears disappears from the frame a couple, like, milliseconds before he should, and then we just hold on that empty space. Like, I feel like we do that at the train station and a number mm. of places. Yeah. But here, yeah, it's just this reminder of the futility of existence and the futility of um, self-possessed uh, commitment and purpose mm-hmm. and... Um, yeah. And how most of our travails are in vain. And ultimately, nothing is in our own hands. <laughs> nothing is in our control. And we will. Fuck con- yeah, nice. And we, we will. We, our hand is not on the wheel. Our hands are too busy cleaning up the messes that other people have left behind. Mm-hmm. Also, for me, the diner scene with the great sound design where you hear the amplified conversations of everyone else around him. Mm-hmm. And if you listen, they're talking about like. Someone mentions like teeth whitening at some point. It's just, like it's just like banal asinine. garbage. Mm-hmm. And this movie is the Matrix. He has turned away from the wall. He's been unplugged. He <laughs> and he sees, sees that the, they are the, in the Matrix. Yes. <laughs> he is so in his own world of like trauma and like mm-hmm. just realizing the shit of the world, the yeah. weight of the world, and how, like, none of this matters. Well, I, I like, think that, all this trivial shit that people around him in this dumb diner are talking about. I, and I think that we hook into his perspective, partly because of the script and also because of the editing, just the filmmaking in general, which is that the story is presented to us through these shards mm-hmm. of scenes. Um, oh, there's a bowl of jelly beans at the arc light. Oh, how fun. Oh, my God. Sorry. Well, I he remembered that. Is the uh, green jelly bean. I was like, this has never happened in a movie before. I, know, I don't know. We why all it was know it. So we all know what it looks I'm impressed. Like. When the color drains from it yes. and it becomes this little crumpy, crumpy little bean. I'm impressed she didn't choose a red bean. You know what I mean? Well, red was the Kevin color. Right. You know? So this, she went with green. green. And, and red and green are the Morvan Collar colors. Yes. Merry Christmas, Merry everyone. Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas and to Rat you. And Ratcatcher's black and white. Yeah. Basically, basically, a black, basically a black, sort yeah, of like a, a sickly pale green. Mm-hmm. Times I love the I, girl. I, oh, 
I just want to finish what I was saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, the story is told to us in these broken scenes and these moments that don't really flow seamlessly into Mm -hmm. the next. She changes the format. I mean, the like, any other movie would make breaking into the governor's, or not the governor's house, but his sort of, like, city lair. Yeah. We would see so much fucking blood, so many close-ups of heads getting beaten, and it's all told on security footage. I love love that. Our our vantage point is constantly being shifted. And there's something about that that just sort of speaks to sort of the... Um, just sort of like the existential like blah of it yeah. all. Like none of this really matters. Mm-hmm. But um, but the story, the movie is told to us in with a striking lack of linearity. Mm-hmm. Um, and also she's just constantly switching up the ways that she's shooting her scenes. And it's that thing where you know they say about screenwriting, you want to come into a scene as late as possible, right. maybe as early as possible. Mm-hmm. And she kind of like doesn't. She does. She doesn't. I don't think she really does that because sometimes, like they're they're just sort of like these weird. We do shape, linger. We that's what, that's what I'm saying. Like yeah. they're these weirdly shaped scenes where, like, maybe we come in a little bit early and then leave a little late, or or we just linger in these mm-hmm. empty spaces mm-hmm. about absence and everything. Anyway, and yet she does only give a hint of a scene. Mm-hmm. So it's like the, a hint of a scene. There you go. The the effect. That's the Orson Welles quote: "Is just give them a hint of a scene and." She does accomplish that, but it's not because we aren't in the scene. Right. It's just like... No, if anything, we are uncomfortably in the scene. But it's just like... Uh, and speaking of the editing, I want to talk about the flashbacks. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, what I love about the flashbacks... Short, sharp shots. Is, yes, they are short, sharp shots. Short, sharp shots. She... They, they are exposition, but they are not used for exposition. They are just in that moment, this thing in his past is clobbering him to death visual storytelling and we get to glean information from it and it's never more than we absolutely need where in we've said this already in the hands of a lesser filmmaker that phrase is fucking crazy but in the hands of a lesser filmmaker but we're using it i know we've used it before uh there would be a whole scene towards the end at the end of the the second act where you get the full picture Dad is beating the shit out of their mom. I gave a kid yeah. a candy bar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He got shot. He got another kid shot another kid for the candy bar in... Is it clear that it's Iraq as opposed to Afghanistan? Afghanistan? I don't, I don't know. know. In the Middle East. I'm yeah. Saying, uh, it's never said because she's not interested in exposition. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's all mired in the same... Mm-hmm. And the conflict. twitching of the foot. and Which at first you think is like... Him. His foot, and then it turns out to be the child. And then you realize child. it's the child. Yeah. yeah. It reminded me when I thought it was him, it reminded me of the master. And he's I in, was about to say that. Yeah, the on sand. the beach. Yeah. I think yes. I'm going to change. I'm, I'm free associating here sure, today. Sure, that's what the show's all about. I think this movie is really in conversation with Good Time. And I thought about Good Time when I was watching it. I think it's they are both like interrogations of an action movie mm-hmm. and they both are about like this white male privilege of thinking you should control the universe and you don't get to control yeah, the universe i feel that i, I guess joe yeah. is actually a victim in mm-hmm. a way that the characters in good time aren't sure or that rob pattinson's character is not mm-hmm. that i don't have the same read when it comes sure. to their I, white male privilege in the form i get the read but yeah joe is a more sympathetic character they, they are robert pattinson's i mean i i, I guess but I he's would, still trying to achieve a goal yeah but i don't right. think, i don't think it's because he has the privilege of a white man and therefore thinks he can solve it see i do i see that so in this explain movie. that then i just think it's in the text no no i know but like tell me what is in the text just that 
this is because he was a soldier it's like this is something that he is able to do and the fact and like it ties into his the ending of him crying yeah. it's just like see i think I, I do think it i think it's more because he's a soldier that he feels like he can execute and not his a mission. white man no yeah. i do think it is because he's a white man that he becomes a soldier his job is also to be a savior i mean mm-hmm. he's an angel of death in a lot of different ways and i think uh <sighs> it's just like i th- in a way joe is a self-aware version of the robert pattinson character in good time and that Interesting. He, and he has experienced more trauma, yeah. so that has allowed him to be more self-aware. But I just think they're both. I, I think they're both like nightmarish odysseys through urban city, like urban. Um, I just I like do this, see but... it. It's too. It is different, but it is the same. I guess the, I just the like... propulsive. Is sure, that a word? sure. The propulsiveness. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think you're right. It's propulsiveness. I don't know. The movie being uh, propulsive, they both share that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I. I mean, I don't agree. I. I, I think that. I think that in good time, our protagonist's uh, journey is completely selfish. Mm-hmm. He's not doing anything to help others. He's just trying to save his own ass. And Joe is bleeding for everyone else around him. And I think that the white male privilege is central in good time to the fact that he's only looking out for himself. Mm-hmm. And I think that Joe voted for Hillary Clinton as a stronger together person. Whether or not he voted for Hillary, but he's a stronger together person. He voted so, for Gary Johnson. <laughs> he probably didn't vote. But yeah. I, I, I actually think that Lynn Ramsey imbues him with a sort of Christ-like thing, which oh. which she also does with Eva when we need to talk about Kevin from the very beginning. When she Christ, when she's in yeah. the she's in the Christ pose yeah. in what is essentially an orgy of blood. Yes. <laughs> anyway, but I'm not God, done, I'm movie. not done talking about this movie yet. So uh-huh. I would like to break the seal on a topic that we have not brought up yet but you can't really talk about Lynn Ramsey without discussing what we talk about when we talk about we need to talk about Kevin my best tweet of all time (laughs) is we need to talk about we talk about when we talk about we need to talk about Kevin yeah so what are you referring to I am talking about the aggravating subjective sound in a Lynn Ramsey picture and I think that in, I mean, I, I got thoughts on all of them. Yeah. But in We Are Your Friends, we, you were never really here. I was going to say we need to talk about Kevin. Um, and you were never really here. I, I hit it with my I foot, think, so I'm just nervous. Thank you. And now I'm nervous. It's fine. I think that she does a great job of using sound, not just sort of like mechanic, metallic, like aggressive noise, mm-hmm. but also his self-flagellating thoughts and the repetition of the girl's countdown. I think that she does a really great job of building this sonic sphere of interiority for Joe that just dials home how much the character hates himself and how much of his time he spends consumed with negative thoughts and obviously his post-traumatic stress disorder. Like, there's nothing like the grinding noises that she uses in this film and her other films to really grind home Mm -hmm. that the character can't think straight Mm -hmm. yeah it starts with sound over black of course it does and i don't know if we've talked about on the pod that's like my favorite device oh yeah i love a good sound over black Mm -hmm. any script i've written i've lifted the way that aaron sorkin writes it in the social network script which is from the black we hear colon so now anytime i do it i always do from the black i like i've always done over black 
Yeah. They both work. They do. And like, I hate to even... From the Black Aaron just sounds Sorkin more is, epic. It does. Yeah. From, From the, the Black. From the Black we hear... Bum, 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 Oh, wait, no, no, that's New Order. What's the... What's the social... What's, what's the social network song that was playing in the Eagle? Isn't it... What is that song? It's, uh... That's the guitar riff. Because I'm pretty sure that's what plays over the Sony logo. No, no, you're right. But it's the song that plays in the in the finals club parties, the... It is. It does. It, this is the New Order song, but it is sort of like bum 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 bum. Anyway, the Eagle was playing the score to the Social Network. Yes, that's right. Wow. Like we were both getting hit on individually at the same time. Yes. Were you guys in a fever dream? Was this real? Was this real? Was this reality? Were we really there? Were you really there? Were we ever really So, there? what do we need to talk about when we talk about we need to talk about Kevin? I'm still confused on that. <laughs> okay, so what we need to talk about when we talk about what we need to talk about Kevin <laughs> is... I don't know where you want to start. Splash of use of color? Uh, I want to talk about her scraping red paint off her house. Yeah, which is the most Jean <laughs> Dielman move. The most Jean Dielman move in the entire picture. Very Jean Dielman. Is her methodically sanding away. Movie. Yeah, the red paint on, the, on her white house. Yeah, it happened I love in the, the very shot beginning of the neighbors gorgeous. looking at her from like afar. I love the shot of her driving home and all the kids in the Halloween costumes are just fucking harassing her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, why doesn't she move back to the city? Is it because she doesn't have any money? Yeah. She doesn't have any money. Th- is that why she takes that shitty job? Think about all the funeral costs. Think about think about the court fees. When they're leaving the court, the it's like the lawyer says, like, they're going to take everything you have. Yeah, Eva but, Cachadorian. But it's like, I feel like that line isn't there for exposition because, like, why wouldn't she just move back to the city? It's all I she d- ever I don't think wanted. She can, I don't think she can afford it. I agree. I also think that... Um, I mean, Kevin's going to... She, she tells him at the end, like, Kevin's probably going to get out in, like, two years. No offense, but didn't her husband have life insurance? Probably not. Oh. He... he. I have life insurance. I don't have life insurance. Oh, John, do I need to get life insurance? I have a personal the, life insurance policy. Brandon, the amount of times you joke about wanting to die, work. you probably should get a life insurance policy. Oh, goodness. Policy. If I die, my parents get so much fucking money. <laughs> Hell yeah, Nice. Good for Vicky. It all yeah. goes to Baby Grant. It all goes to oh, Baby Grant. Baby Grant's gonna have a great little life. <laughs> a little um, life. A little life. life. Thank Wait, you. Wait, so Anthony. are we done talking about you were never really here? Because if, uh, if we're gonna talk about the other movies, I I want to. I think we are like those. a full hour in. I know we're only forty minutes into talking about the movie. Yeah. But let's just talk about Joaquin Phoenix for a minute. Yes. Oh yeah. Where does this rank? The greatest for... actor of his generation. Absolutely. Where does this rank for his performances for it's, you guys? It's. I don't know. I'm not there yet. It's <laughs> not the master, which I, I think I've said on the podcast. I think is one of the ten greatest performances in the history of cinema. Uh huh. Um, it's not that, but it's a different. He's doing a different yeah. thing, but he doesn't reach the same level of vulnerability for me. And I know that sounds like a dig on this movie, but it's not. It's no, just it's a different movie. As a reactionary actor and as a performer who's gifted at distilling the again interiority of a troubled character psyche, mm-hmm. Joaquin Phoenix continues to be able to carry the world on his shoulders subtly but unmistakably. I think. And I mean, I also talked about this in therapy. Would Joaquin Phoenix be able to do this had he not, at age 13, watched his brother die in front of him on the street in front of the Viper Room? Oh, I didn't know about that. Yes. Yeah. They were at the Viper Room the night that River Phoenix OD'd. Fuck. On the street. 
I mean, wow. this movie, and also uh, we need to talk about Kevin, and also Morven Collar, and also Ratcatcher are mm-hmm. dealing profoundly in the idea of grief, mm-hmm. and that is sort of what makes this performance a winner for me with Joaquin Phoenix is that he doesn't even have to say anything, and he's not, and he's not even trying that hard. I really to... found a kinship with Morven Collar in just like reactions to dead beloveds. I also steal, I also steal my dead beloveds uh, novels. Yeah. I, I changed the <laughs> name of the author. When from she did mine. that, I was like, oh, Morven Collar yeah. is that bitch. I was. Why I f- wouldn't you? I fucking love. Morven I love Collar. it. I, oh, do do we think the boyfriend was a bad boyfriend? No, this is the question. Yes. No, no, this is the question. Was her husband? abusive or not oh they were it was a husband she has a ring i think that you i think you can read it as that but i like i i I believe that the way that her friends are like reassuring her about him like he doesn't sound like a shithole or a shitbag but like of course abuse is private like we wouldn't know Mm -hmm. but i uh, that's where my mind went but my mind also went to like what if he was a great husband and morvern knew that above everything else she he would want her to be happy which is why, rather than go through the financial nightmare of burying him, go through the police procedural that would wreck her, like, of course, she's going to get accused of murdering him, mm-hmm. and then having to deal with his novel. Like, I feel like even if he was a good husband, he probably would be like, yeah, put your name on the novel and be good for the rest of your life. So I actually think you can read it both ways, which I, I, I spend more time in reflection on I this movie. I don't because of the suicide note. I mean, he seems like a like a. The suicide um, note is dripping with selfishness and self pity, and but it also oh, is dripping with just he could just be depressed. I think that the way that he phrases like I thought it was just the right thing to do, and there's another sentence that I'm slipping my mind that I think he just doesn't really care about her. I really think that that's that's the read I yeah, mostly but, got. But, but couldn't he also be so awash and depressed? I mean, that's like to say that anybody who kills themselves like doesn't care about the people they're. That's not behind. what I'm saying. No, but I'm but what I'm saying is that if you are someone who is so deeply down, like in your own depression, that you are not even thinking about suicidal thoughts or like suicidal ideation, but you are going through with it, yeah, you're probably not. I don't think everybody is probably going to be like, by the way, I love you so much. Like, No, I know. But I, the fact that he would kill himself and ask send it to deal with it to send my book to this list of publishers yeah. starting at the top. It's just lazy. That's so like, that's such an egotistical. I agree. Like, no, ultimately, I'm with you. I, I think he's a shitty boy for our shitty husband not... and abusive. But I do think it's it, it's. And with most of Lynn Ramsey's movies, I think there's room for debate. In she's terms not of interested I feel like in she's making the, it clear cut. Yes. She's just the the person that he's with right now, you know. And they may be married. I don't know if I still believe that. I know that she may have a ring. I think they're married, but I still don't know if I believe that. I always thought he was a boyfriend. I didn't just even because get they do. Have, I know they have different last names. Yeah, I think they're married. Um, but I just, I also think the friend would react. Baker, if she was like he left, yeah, but I, I if think, they were married, I think that in especially her first two features, although she's talking about class and mm-hmm. Kevin as well, mm-hmm. but she's what I love about Lynn, Ram- Lynn Ramsey's trajectory as a filmmaker is she starts out making social realist dramas that are certainly tinged with radical experimentation, but like the plot of Morvan Keller and Ratcatcher would not be they would be very easy to mix up with Mike Lee or Ken Loach on a certain level. Like she, yeah. she is interested in poor 
working class Britons. Yeah. And I do think that in the environment that she builds in Morven Caller, like they're all young kids with no money. And they say like, oh no, like guys leave their girls all the time and they always come back. So I don't think she, I don't think her friend would be that worried at all. Partly because she's, she would have to reassure her best friend that it's all going to be okay. And two, because in this environment that Ramsey has built, it's, you know, it seems like guys suck and they right. do this all the time. Anyway. Guys do suck. Guys. But anyway, going back, blow. are we done talking about You Were Never Really Here? We're going to move on to the other I feel other like ones. there's something else I want to say. I, I love... I, um, I just love this movie so much. I love the sort of the aggressive whirring of the subway car going past his face and we're, somehow the lighting is perfect <laughs> in the scene. But like that sort of, again, like that industrial noise of just the subway car like whipping past his face... It, it reminds me of like in Get Out when we see that in the background Chris or, or that in so Chris is walking and then in the background we see the grandpa chopping wood but it looks like the axe mm. is coming towards his in head, his head. Mm-hmm. like that relationship between everything else in the frame and a character's psyche and state of mind. I think that Ramsey's doing a lot in this movie, but I can't get out. I can't get the subway shit you out of my head. Get out! I can't get out. I like the shot of him outside the house. <laughs> Do you know which one I'm talking about? The house the big, at the end? The wide shot. Yeah, the the final house where mm-hmm. he sees the... I, I love... Um, love his dad bod. Love his... Oh, same. <laughs> same. When, when he sort of, like, moves his arms together and, like... He just is when such a funny shape. And yes. And there's the crunching of bones mm-hmm. in oh, the sound I just can't believe the same body... You know, acted in the master, and now this same. Like, he's insane. a skeleton with his fucking hands on his hips. Yeah, and elbows. And now he's like a pillow of a man, a soft pillow of a man for Rooney Mara to rest her head upon. Um, but yeah, we can be done and move on. I want to. I still more? don't know what course, we need to but... talk about when we talk about. <laughs> Did what? you have like a specific thing? Well, no, it's just like... Oh, is it a bit? It's it's, it's, a bit. it's a long-winded way of saying, like, let's talk about... We need to talk about Kevin. <laughs> I thought there was something specific that, like, film Twitter talks about Kevin, but they're oh, not talking about no. the right thing. No, it's... Like, it's mostly Ezra Miller's just, it's midriff. Mostly, it's mostly just for laughs. I love a bit. It's mostly just for laughs. I... But I do want to talk about... We need to talk about All Kevin. Right. Let's, and, well, let's work backwards. So yes. we'll start with Kevin and then go to Morven Keller. I think um, it's... I think it's... As we move into the rest of our work, I just want to say, for me personally, I think she's gotten better with every single movie at this point in her career. I... Brandon loves a ranking. Do you want to rank real quick? I love a ranking. My rank would just be backwards. Okay. Brandon, what's So your you ranking? just think she keeps getting better and better yes. and better. What's your ranking? Um, mine would be Ratcatcher at the bottom, and then Kevin... Morvan Collar, You Were Never. Mine's from top to bottom, Morvan Collar, You Were Never Really Here. We need to talk about Kevin Ratcatcher. Yeah. Although, I will have to see You Were Never Really Here again, because rewatching Kevin last night, that movie's pretty much perfect. It is! <laughs> that movie's pretty much perfect. And I think that Tilda Swinton is as compelling, if not slightly more so to me, than Joaquin Phoenix in You Were Never Really Here. And again... I said it earlier in the podcast, but especially in Kevin, but also in You Were Never Really Here, just not as flashback heavy. I am really taken with the way that Ramsey grapples with visceral immediacy and intimacy, how her characters are feeling right now. Just the weight of showing up at this moment. In a Lynn Ramsey movie, you always know, like, how, like why is the character rattled and, and what are they carrying with them? While also being so 
interested in interrogating the past of these characters. So both Tilda and Joaquin are dealing with that in their films. And I think I find Tilda's one, I think I find Eva a little more compelling of a figure, but that's also because you would never really hear her so skeletal, um, like by design, whereas we need to talk about Kevin as like just drowning in detail. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and I mean, it's 20 minutes longer. It's her longest yeah. movie by it is. It's almost two hours it long. Yeah. It's quite yeah. substantial. It's quite substantial. <laughs> the Tilda Swinton movie is quite substantial. Quite substantial. I think it's interesting that we need to talk about Kevin as her first American movie. Yeah, so that was your letterbox log, and I definitely have... I want to talk about that, so... I want to talk about... I think, I think just about. when... I want to talk about Brandon's log regarding we need to talk about Kevin. Thank you. When a non-American filmmaker makes their first American film, they have just such beautiful, thoughtful, searing insight into America and what's wrong with America and, like, uh, just, like, the American dream, blah, blah, blah. And the other... the uh, recent example I can think of is um, Andrew Arnold and American Honey. Yes. So when I see... We need to talk about Kevin and Lynn Ramsey, this being her first... it. It's just interesting. I I think it's fascinating the way that Ramsey is grappling with American iconography in this film, uh, with like the white bread of the sandwiches, with that oh, with yeah. that scene of Tilda against the rows of uh, soup cans, mm-hmm. themes of incarceration, the country music that is constantly playing, mm-hmm. scenes taking place at a diner, and yeah. then like Brandon was saying, the idea of the American dream, they move into this palatial. A state, this beautiful in the house that like yeah, she in the hates. suburbs, yeah. Mm-hmm. But this idea of like we are going to start as two people who fall in love, and then we're going to build a family, and then we're going to move to a bigger house, and then we're going to get better jobs, and then we're going to sell books, and everything's going to be just fucking great, mm-hmm. yeah. It, but you know, we have a sociopath who's living in the house who the father compares to Donald Trump, yes. which yeah. Which I love, and I just think talk about having her finger on the pulse for America. It's yeah. such like a perfect marriage of character and story to have a woman who doesn't even know she wants to be a mother if she should be a mother to have a sociopath as a child Mm -hmm. to have like a true sociopath as a child so that she is constantly wondering if it's her fault Mm -hmm. yes and then she has a second child who she has a beautiful loving relationship with and Mm -hmm. so she realizes like it's not that I can't be a mother, mm-hmm. but did I fail with this one? Or was it because he was a sociopath and he was constantly not just picking a fight with me, but literally out to draw blood and I saw it? Let's, let me say mm-hmm. that not all sociopaths are murderers, just to be, um, of course. It, right, it upsets of course. me yeah. to like, to do that. And I was the one that started it. So of I course. feel like I have to say it. Not all sociopaths are murderers. I was just going off like, your introduced term. And it is, I mean, he is, but. He's also a murderer. Yes. yes. Yes, correct. He is unfeeling and also a murderer. Mm-hmm. I, so I'm, um, I think that when Lynn Ramsey is covering a scene, we all know this, but she doesn't start with a wide and then go in for a medium and do shot reverse shot. I feel like she has an eye for the little details, whether it be Kevin rolling his bread into little bullets. Oh, oh my God. I, I love that, that scene. Cause I was like, oh, I do that. Or in, or in, in rat catcher when, when, Jamie, I don't remember when when the when Honestly, the little when the little rat when know. the little rat faced boy is like going up into the bus. He is rat faced. We just yeah we just see that we just see this like in basically a mirror in the corner. Like she has a way of just getting to the heart of her scenes and covering it from the heart out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's partly why her films feel so 
I've used the word ten times, but so visceral and so yeah. intimate. Yeah. Just something that I love, which is like doing a whole scene in inserts. This is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly right. And yeah. just like the one of the opening scenes of uh, You Were Never Really Here when he is like putting all of the stuff back in his bag before he leaves the hotel after that, his first job that oh, is ending. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's just like the only real you don't see him. The only until... shot of him that we see is he his the bag is on his face and he's... yeah. And then he yeah. And she's not doing a movie star reveal. She's yeah. just not interested in telling her story in that traditional way. She's yeah. telling it in the dirt that gets underneath your fingernails. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't see him until like I don't know, like fourth shot in or something. Yeah. Not until like he gets home basically and yeah, he's like it's... watching Psycho Mom. Yes, yeah, I think that and is she's when we first pretending see him. to be dead. Yeah, for him. It's so See, isn't cute. that funny? Isn't that funny? Their relationship is adorable. I'm, again, I'm not saying the movie is humorless, but for me, I was, like again, I was just so in that character's You're head. Steamrolled. I was, I was dealing with the drama. Where aren't we all? Talk about the drama. Um, it's, it's the tr- to one of my favorite Slater Kenny songs. It's the trauma I've been craving. Nice. I want to talk about Ezra Miller. In his midriff. And his midriff. his arms. I cannot believe the first time I saw this movie, I was not into him. Because on this watch, I was like, oh, wow. Wow. Um, Yeah. Very wow. So I wondered, I had to Google this, if which came first, this or Perks. And obviously this. This came first. Because this was his big coming out. And then Perks launched him and whatever. Before he came out. Oh, he think, is just so fucking good. He's yeah, good. I think that I love his strand of hair. I do too. But I it, speaking, Brandon loves strands of hair in Lynn Ramsey movies, whether it's mm, the mom with oh, her silver hair <laughs> oh, yeah. in the water. Uh, I think that Ramsey does something really interesting here in the way that she does. Whether or not she sexualizes Kevin, she does. He, he is a mature young man, <laughs> um, not just in how his body develops, mm-hmm. but then also when he's jerking it. Like yikes! She, oh, that scene. I feel like she ties like this pent up rage like to his. Um, to I his, think like, she does sexualize him because the shirts are too small. Yeah, absolutely. You I know? mean, that's not a mistake. No, yeah, it's not. Yeah, he's yeah, wearing he's... a small one. He's medium. Or can I whatever? Can I um, bring up a piece of sound design I like in this movie? Yes, please do. Which is that when baby Kevin goes into Mama's. Uh, study into her office and she's just put up all of these maps because she's oh, an right. adventurer. It kills Which, me. by the way, I love that, it like, kills. Lynn Ramsey doesn't tell you until, like, an hour and a half into the movie, like, by the way, if, in case you were wondering what Eva's job is, mm-hmm. she's an adventurer. Mm-hmm. Uh, she travels the world in a goddamn carved-out canoe. But, so, uh, Kevin is upstairs, he's, like, scribbling all over the maps, but we just see her downstairs and she's, like, yelling for Kevin mm-hmm. and then she realizes something's wrong and then we just hear that of a sprinkler Mm. and before you know what that ties into which i'll say in a second it's just again this example of lynn ramsey using discordant non-diegetic sound design in order to get into a character's troubled mental state Mm -hmm. but because this whole movie is basically told in flashback and through memory we learn at the end when she finds her deceased husband and daughter dead shot with arrows in the backyard as the sprinklers are coming on that this is a way of ramsey saying that Eva wonders, should I have known then yeah. mm-hmm. that he was going to do this? Yeah. And that is just genius. <laughs> and it's the fucking doughy husband. 
What's his? What's the John C. Riley? John C. Riley just thwarting her away from those thoughts. Yeah, when, which makes her feel crazy. Yes, he like, gaslights her. She's he being like, he like, doing it. She's yeah. being gaslit. Yeah, like you, you watch she's, him scowl and smile between who he's speaking to, yeah. and he's code switching. So, so it makes her feel insane. Because the saddest part of this movie for me uh-huh. is just that. Tilda Swinton never gets to say I told you so to John Rice Riley. Yeah, right? It would be so satisfying. Oh, when the little girl goes... Okay. Oh, that poor girl. I can't... I forgot Heaven blinds her. Yeah, I can't believe that. That's like so fucked. I forgot about that part from the movie and I watched it again. I was like, Jesus. No, this is, I mean, I wasn't intending on watching this movie again and I'm so glad I did, obviously, Mm -hmm. but I was not going to put myself through it before we recorded but I had it rented from the library and last night put it on. And again, I'm so glad I did because it, it, it's not a it is a disturbing movie, but the craft is so compelling and unexpected. And, and with any Ramsey movie, just the symphony between sound and image is so dizzying and unexpected again, unexpected, surprising, blah, blah, blah. Like you get fucking high watching this movie. Yeah, that's what's great movies. about. Yeah. Any they're of her just, movies. Uh, this is so lame, they're crushing but they but... uncut cinema and that she is interested in pairing images with sound in ways you aren't expecting. Yeah. Uncut like foreskin. No, I'm saying it. You know, like, like that's heroin. how I understood it. Yeah, I thought you were going with a dick joke. I thought you were going. No, with a dick metaphor. I mean, no, um, I mean, like it's no, but pure, I. It's, it's no, I agree. Here, here's Her, a different gay reference. It's pure heroin. Nice. There you go. Oh lord. I don't need to get um, your head out of the guy. Kate Blanchett gets foreskin injected into her face. I understand. Who? Cool. Kate Blanchett. Nice. They just have piles of foreskin at hospitals that they use the cells. It's the new pl- foreskin to, is the new placenta mm, to freshen mm, your face. Mm, mm. Co- foreskin just, collagen is the new eating your own placenta. I just want to take a moment to agree with you and say her movies are fucking crushing, but they're also like it's like a high, like you said. Yeah. It is just they enthralling. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's. In the hands of a lesser filmmaker, you could not make an insert shot of a woman pulling 10p coins off a table and make it cinematic. But when mm. Lynn Ramsey does it in Morvern Caller, every one of those sounds makes this scraping, swishing mm-hmm. sound. And then obviously the light in the room is built off of a blinking Christmas tree next to a that dead man. Buzzes. Yeah, buzzes. Yeah. So it's, it is, it's alien. And yeah. again, it's intimate. Like I said at the beginning of the podcast, like what I find so compelling about her is that it's a, a lot of, t- this is not her defining feature, but so much of it is a study in contrast and that she, she's able to build such a specific, realistic mm-hmm. human world, but explore it in uncomfortably unfamiliar visual language and yeah. oral language. And that it still feels true is mind blowing to me. Yeah. Let's move on to Samantha Morton. But I, let me say Ooh. one more thing about Kevin. Okay. One more thing about Kevin. And I was going to say it after the sprinkler thing, which is also that she's not just matching memory with sound. Mm-hmm. There's also that great cut at the end of the movie where she is sitting. I wrote it down. What is it? Oh, uh, when she's like at the hospital, mm-hmm. like waiting for their daughter to get out. Like she and John C. Riley are sitting on a row of chairs the the frame like the frame though makes it sort of a diagonal and then we right. cut to her waiting in the prison waiting room to talk mm. to Kevin oh, yeah. in a similar chair with the exact same angle mm-hmm. and so she has this ability to even if it's not in that 
uh, clear of a match cut, but she's able to like navigate like the mazes of memory the way that like I'm gonna see Ben's glasses and then they're gonna remind me of someone or or even just like something that's the same shape of those glasses mm-hmm. that played a traumatic point in my life. Right. Um, she's like as a subjective she's filmmaker, brilliant. I really think she's on parallel. It's like but there's yes. the red orgy at the beginning, mm-hmm. and then it goes directly into her house has been painted red, and so the light shining through the window. Yes, paint. And in, in in the bridge for that moment is that we are looking at like sort of the red paint in the street, mm-hmm. um, just like this glopping. Uh, uh, massive red liquid and then we start to hear the cries of the school shooting yeah. over that mm-hmm. and that's sort of threading the needle into what you were saying mm-hmm. with the red paint in her windows mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've never been able to it's been I saw this movie when it came out in theaters and I did a double feature of this and shame oh <laughs> um, wow yeah it was rough oh, and in oh. when I was in London oh, I saw it at the Prince Charles cinema I don't think we have any listeners in London but I saw it at the Prince Charles which is one of the best theaters I saw also saw I am love there it's a lot Wait, of Tilda there I saw I am love in London did you oh see it at the God. Prince Charles I, I don't know what it looks like what does it look like is it like it's, nar- off, weird it's, off, and Leicester, it's off Leicester Square no the theater where no so there's two screens at the Prince Charles unless they've redone it there's the upstairs which is sort of like a Limley-esque theater, and then the downstairs is almost like, a, it's closer to like a vista, like a proscenium and everything. I've never been to England. Anyway. So. But I would love to end this conversation. Speaking of England. Oh, I did, wait, did I see it there? Did we see it in the same theater? Did you see did it at the same time? Did you see it at the same time? Were you in my theater? Wait, what year? What? When were, were we in London at the same time? Well, I did live there for many years. Wait a minute. Couple years. What if we were in the same theater <gasps> at the same time seeing I Am be. Love? It's so beautiful. <gasps> it could be. Wow. I will say, wow. when I saw We Need to Talk About wow. Kevin, I was sitting next to another faggot. Mm. Was our, it me? I, I No, that, not no, because this was We Need to Talk About Kevin. Oh, sorry. But our legs were brushing up against oh. each other the whole time. And oh, so gosh. I was feeling like these weird, complicated, <laughs> like, Ooh, the movie I'm watching is so disturbing, and yet this man is... Pushing his skin against guys. Time. Anyway, wow. I'm just ben, looking let's up. talk about Samantha Morton. Uh, Someone <laughs> sat right next to me during "You Were Never Really Here," and the theater was not full. I was so oh mad. fuck that person. And I know not the cool. Lemley NoHo is weird. Like, there's only the aisle in the middle, right? Mm-hmm. And so you have to like branch out and you have to cross people because everyone sits on the aisle first. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you have to cross people. But it was like there are so <laughs> many other seats, bro. And then, but then he did get up and leave. So it was like he was never really there. It was like he was never really there. I'm looking up Samantha Morton's IMDb, and I see a TV series, 2002 to 2013, called Max and Ruby, and I'm like, what's that? It's probably a British show. It's an animated show about (gasps) bunnies. Oh my god! How cute! That's adorable. It's adorkable. Yes, let's talk about... R.I.P. Samantha Morton's voice (laughs) performance in her... Aww, so her career, yeah. but let's. Morvan Collar came right before Minority in America, Report, but it came out in, after in Speed and Down. So this is the first. No, it came out. Morvan Collar came out in America after Minority Report. Oh, oh okay. but I do know that. For my, a fact. But also Sweet and Down. My whole. I hate to bring up Woody Allen movies. My whole point though is that this is the first time that Lynn Ramsey does what she's done in every film now, mm-hmm. which is she takes a superstar talent of the international cinema and then turns them into a regular person mm-hmm. who's been put into extraordinary circumstances and then we watch them in this very like dirty low grade adventure yeah 
Something I loved, I read Roger Ebert's review of Morvan Cowler. Did he give it four? Three and a half. All right. I know. Um, he compares her to Isabella Bear as like a ferocious and like face never changing, but you still know exactly what she's feeling. Yeah. Just because of her eyes. Mm-hmm. I love that. The crazy eyes of Isabella Bear mm-hmm. and uh, Samantha Morton. Mm hmm. It's beautiful. I just like Samantha Morton in Synecdoche, New York. Oh, I haven't seen that. My favorite movie of all time. You You haven't seen that? I haven't seen that. You must see it. It You're going to love it. It will ruin your life. Right. I do love my life being ruined. (laughs) But yeah, so let's... Morvern Caller, which, um, you know, probably my new favorite movie of all time. Wow. Nice. I'm obsessed with it. It's very good. I I read somewhere... um, I don't remember... God, I wish I had double-checked just to give credit. But... The point was made about Morvan Keller, which is that you know exactly what you're getting in the first scene of this movie, mm-hmm. which is that a helpless and desperate young woman has to contend with the dead body of her husband, mm-hmm. the wishes of her dead husband, and it's like the holidays and she has plans. Right. So I made the joke on Twitter that there should be a Morvan Keller escape room, and the reason why is because the movie so clearly sets up in the beginning, like in the first scene... Mm-hmm. This is what she has to escape from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This entire character's journey can be summed up in this one shot of the body on the floor, the computer in the corner, the tree in the back, and, you know, money in the bank. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we were both. Mm-hmm. 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 I, um, I don't know what I was going to say. But, yeah, that what, the first establishing thing is like, okay, this is her hell and she has to get out of it. And then I just love her dragging her friend around and... Her friend is a hoot. A Her half. friend is a hoot, and I like when they sit in the desert and they sleep in the desert. Oh. Like more than <laughs> I was having fun back there. <laughs> and don't they like flee Spain to go somewhere else? And she's like, "Why more than?" Well, like she Morvern leaves her there. Yes, Morvern, oh, right. Because once more, Morvern Caller is that bitch. She, she is leaves, that bitch who leaves her, her best her friend in the desert and leaves her money. But she's a nice lady because mm-hmm. she calls the hotel later and is like, "Did my friend get back?" Is she in her room? Do I need to send money? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, she's here. She's like, okay, cheers. Oh, that's good. Cheers, thanks. Ooh, do the, do the, I, the rat catcher? Do the rat catcher accents. Okay, so this is my imitation. I um, needed fucking subtitles This is for this my imitation movie. of the morning mother and rat catcher. <clears throat> you bastard! I hate you! Go wee! <laughs> <laughs> do the kids that I literally could not understand. It sounded uh, like I was listening to a different language. I don't remember what I was saying when I was doing the boys' imitation. You were just like, just say I'm a rat catcher. <laughs> I'm a rat catcher down by the river. Tell your ma, make make the mouse fly. <laughs> do you think there's cheese on the moon? Do the rats eat the cheese on the moon? With the fucking rats flying into space. You bastard! I hate ya! That's my favorite part of the movie. When the rats fly to space. <laughs> and then land on the moon. <laughs> and land on the moon. And hopefully eat cheese. The I'm, movie's so weird. I must say I'm the least prepared to talk about Ratcatcher because I had a buzz when I watched it. I have nothing oh. to say about Ratcatcher, honestly. <laughs> really? I don't know. It's fine. It's a good. It's a great movie. I mean, she's incapable of making a, a good movie, a less than great movie. But I just, I was irritated because I couldn't understand them and I didn't have access to subtitles. Oh my god! <laughs> Even when you tipped your feet, <laughs> I was just like, it was a very like, 
I was watching the movie, but I was out of it because I couldn't. I just I had it no is, subtitles. Ratcatcher is a striking piece of social realism that is about it's about poverty. It's about poverty, but it's also about the ways in which the state fails the poor, which is that they put them mm-hmm. in council in a, in a state housing. Is it her most political film? I think it's her most political film. And Jamie, I think, is the name of the lead character. What he wants most is space. And freedom, and so when he goes, when he to, goes to the field. when he goes to yeah, when he's running through the field, but that I'm I can't get the shot out of my head. But when he goes and he he basically goes to a new council estate that's under construction, and he mm-hmm. walks into a building which reminded me of the Florida Project. Yeah, um, me too. Yeah, yeah. He walks into this unfinished council estate, and then finds this window that this open window that with no glass on it yet. So a porous boundary. And it just looks like a painting of fields of golden wheat yeah. and blue sky. And then he approaches the window, climbs out, and runs through it. It's wow. but, but That the, scene's amazing. But the movie wow. is so... Wow. wow! Actually, and so, Ben, I said, I, I remember saying when we did our top 25 films of last year, that when you were talking about rat film, rat I film. swore I was going to watch it like before the month was out, and I still haven't seen it. But I think this film is also doing a lot in, exp- in, in, in comparing... The tenants of this government housing mm-hmm. and the way that they are being stacked on top of one another, yeah. their trash is not being taken out. So literally, it breeds. It, 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 yeah, it, well, no, it, it, it breeds uh, sickness. Mm-hmm. It breeds crime. It breeds a lack of community, and and the movie is very much about that. And the and kids' so, entertainment is literally trash. Right. Like they play with the garbage. <laughs> Their entertainment is cutting open the bags and being like, "Oh, Jimmy, I found the rat! I found a dead one!" <laughs> can, I, can I say something very homosexual? Yes. Yeah. When he and the girl take the bath together, and he takes his pants off, I was like, "Those are really cute underwear." <laughs> they had, like they were white. They, they were just little, white briefs. No, they had a little pattern on. Oh, them. Oh, they did. Yes. I took a. They I, were like polka dots. I took a. Uh, I took a screenshot when I was watching of when they're like Jimmy, like the, like the girl the, the girl's like on the on the sofa like Jimmy, get on her like <laughs> tip your feet. <laughs> And then it cuts to like him just like laying on top of her, and then like looking to the it's side, so like beaming funny. like, ah! like <laughs> he just that laces his body atop her. Yeah, yeah, my dream of going into the shimmer yeah. is that a body will place itself upon. <laughs> um, I just want to say real quick, we totally breezed past Morvan Cowler, but we that's did. that's fine. It's honestly, I've been it's really, I've been really stressed out about talking about it today because. Am I looking at a poster for $18, uh, a Morven Caller poster for $18? Am I putting it on mm. my wish list and probably buying mm. it in the next six months? Yeah. Like, Morven Caller is going to be one of the movies. I think Morven Caller is one of the 10 best movies of the odds, um, wow. if not in the top three. Wow. It reminded me of Wendy and Lucy. It really did. Oh, that's interesting. Just like stylistically, they're yeah. both about class, it's about a sad woman mm-hmm. dealing with an, like a singular issue. Yeah. Yes. And that, and I appreciated that about it too. It, it it is it is single track, but there's nothing static or um, uh, simple about it, the way the story story is explored. It's a movie that we will that will keep getting brought up on this podcast. Yeah, so I we mean, don't need to stress about once again. Morvan when she's on the phone Caller, and she bitch. has yeah. to explain her name, Morvan, Morvan, killer, killer, M O R V. When she got the publishers on the horn. <laughs> I love the publishers. And she's like, 
she's like, oh, 100000 is, like, very good for, like, a first deal. Yeah. She's like, Ex- excuse me. Yeah, she's like, <laughs> can we get some more champagne? And then she, like, does a dance around yeah. the corner. And, and they're like, she's so quirky. You work in a supermarket? <laughs> I So this movie, I think, more than the other ones, uh, Lynn Ramsey is injecting, I'm not going to say magical realism, but just, like, vibrant pops of unreality mm. in working class people's lives and I think about the moment when Morvern enters the supermarket for the first time. Oh, that's one that's one, probably my favorite shot of the movie. Yeah, and there's the the, the cardboard cuts out cutouts of fruit above her yes. and she's just walking underneath them and it's basically oh, like Oh yeah. It's not this song, but it's you know, Lynn Ramsey loves to put an ironic pop number on. It's like mm-hmm. that when you go to bed. Like it, <laughs> it's not that, but it's something like that. And I love that because you don't realize that she works there yet. Yeah. And it's just like You think they're just glamorizing this woman's shopping experience. Yes. And then it's like, oh she's going to work. Yeah. And she still has a dead body at home yeah and she does for a while i love it she leaves that body for so long and then she cuts it the fuck up up. disposes of it while she's listening to the playlist he made her (laughs) it's so good i love that she carries her in that playlist i god damn it so i think you know we've been talking about lynn ramsey uh you can certainly talk about her as a formalist because she is radical in that way radical radical as claire four would say radical radical (laughs) but she's also a filmmaker she's a remedy (laughs) but lynn ramsey is a filmmaker who is fundamentally concerned with outsiders Mm -hmm. with people who live their lives outside the the class the class status quo like a normal way of living your life and i think that's why her storytelling method because she's writing all these movies too and i and i said it before like the movie is basically told in like broken glass like in storytelling shards of scenes the fact that these characters live outside the margins makes that sort of style really apt Mm -hmm. to explore yeah i agree i'm just very excited that we gave ourselves this homework to discover her or at least me discovering her i watched i mean i'd only seen we need to talk about kevin yeah and even that felt like i was discovering it for the first time because i just didn't like get it when i was however old and whatever year that came out i've been hearing about morvan Keller for a long time really yeah but mostly um it's been a while i guess i it's honestly it's it's that uh nick davis who is like one of my favorite film writers Uh, he's written a lot about Morvan Keller, or I've read something he wrote about it, and um, I thought it was a horror movie for the longest time. Oh, the cover's a little horror-esque. Well, I mean, these are very (laughs) unsettling movies. Speaking of horror movie, what's interesting is if you look at reviews of We Need to Talk About Kevin, it's her lowest scored movie, and if you look at reviews, people kept calling it a horror movie, and they would give it bad reviews because of that. Right. I mean, it's psychologically terrorizing. But it's not... It's... It was just very misunderstood Correct. when it came out. I and I thought that was interesting. I agree. I think it does succeed as a horror movie. I do too. In oh, its yeah. own way. Yeah. It just doesn't conform to the convention. Again, like, if it came out it now. In a surprising genre. If it came out now, released under A24, it mm-hmm. would be a horror movie. Right. It, Lynn Ramsey would get a Best Director nomination. Yeah. Mm. Mm. She got the BAFTA nomination for We Need to Talk About Kevin. Really? Right. Mm. Hometown girl. Mm. Mm. So I had, uh, one thing that I, 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 apart from I took some notes watching me to talk about Kevin last mm-hmm. night, only because I was like, I'm so tired of doing yeah. the homework for this show. And then we talk about the homework and all I can be is like, I liked it. Like Same. me doing like when I did the kid <laughs> manifesto, which is front of the pod, Sam Herb's show. And when I did blind spots, front of the pod, Jorge's, I had to take notes for those movies. Yeah. And as a result, I just like, you know, you it's better to, to talk say. about it. But anyway, apart from that, 
the only thing that I told myself I would say before coming in here mm-hmm. is how disgraceful it is that when we talk about the auteurs... When we talk to, about... We need to talk we, about auteurs. I think it's disgraceful that when we talk about what we talk about, when we talk about the, the auteur behind we need to talk about Kevin, is that we don't talk about her at all in relation to British auteurs. Mm. Um, I mean, cinephiles do, of course. But when you think about like what the British cinema is largely defined by... Like, Guy Ritchie is really the biggest export. Obviously, Christopher Nolan. Mm. Um, but I think it's disgraceful that Guy Ritchie... Um, you mean of people working today. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm no, just I'm, specifying. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, the contemporary British cinema. Like, Mike Lee is still making movies. Ken Loach mm-hmm. is still making movies. But, like, Andrea Arnold and Lynn Ramsey are the most interesting people working in that country right now. Mm-hmm. And we're too focused on... Uh, the Tom Hooper of it all. Ooh, you know, award winner Tom Hooper. Tom Hooper got nice. an Oscar before anyone else in his class in Britain, and right. he is by he's far a man. the least interesting, because he's least a talented man, and with middle of the road interests. He put, but you know, he put Colin Firth and Jeffrey Rush like close to the frame while they were looking at each other, and then the frames become more natural as it goes along. Yeah, you also know that Don't Tom, you love Tom his Hooper... high ceilings? Mm. I love that the king's... The wallpaper that looks nothing like a Dutch wallpaper. But y'all, <laughs> y'all, Danish. I know Not y'all Dutch. know this, but the thera- Jeffrey Rush's office in the king's speech was later discovered to be a porn set. <gasps> a gay porn set, Oh, yeah, set, yeah, yeah. I, think. I remember I this. I didn't n- know that. I remember yeah. this this headline. So, everybody, that. if you don't know about this, Google um, gay porn king speech. Oh. Yeah. It's, uh, I remember that. And oh, like, I remember seeing some wonderful. stills. It's like, that's the wallpaper. Like, it that's was a scandal at the time. Yeah. It was like, they. correct me if I'm wrong, but weren't they like, oh, this is going to ruin its Oscars chances? Yeah, of course. I would say it was Harvey, but Harvey was behind the king's speech. Fuck Harvey. Fuck the King's Speech. It's still but one. Mostly fuck Harvey. Mostly it's... fuck Harvey. Nice. On three. One, two, three. Fuck, fuck Harvey. Harvey. Fuck him. You I didn't do I it. I missed it. You didn't do it. Wow. I was looking at my Google Chrome. <laughs> oh, I was looking at <laughs> I was looking at Prince Charles Cinema. I'm still shook by that. We're gonna have to oh, dig into this more often. You guys thought you're gonna have to find your stubs. Because there was one other person in the theater, and like I'm like in that AMC club or something. And I'm like, was, was it you rubbing his leg up against? No, no that, that was, was we need to talk about Kevin. Oh, sorry. But <laughs> when I faggot hightailed it out of the theater as soon as the credits what a, rolled. What a but I didn't he already have, got his rocks I didn't off. have time. I was going to see Shame at my favorite theater in London, the Curzon Soho. Nice. Maybe that's which, the one I saw it at. Steve McQueen was uh, did a Q and A afterwards. It was great. Nice, congrats! Thank oh, you. the Curzon hey. looks more familiar thank you, ben, to thank me. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Like when I saw the Vim Benders with him. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Samantha Morton looks like Jodie Foster in her IMDb photo. So here's uh, they do kind of look the same. Look at pull up her IMDb. Fun, fun fact: When Kate Blanchett got her second nomination for playing. Elizabeth and Elizabeth mm. the Golden Age. I do believe she too could command the wind, sir. But you know who could not command the wind to an Oscar nomination was Samantha Morton as Mary Queen of Scots. Mm. But she got nominated for two other films: Sweet and Low Down and In America. In America, correct. In America, in America, correct. She Patty Considine's in America. She's a Taurus. Thank you. Anyway, <laughs> all right. Does anybody? I feel like we've we're winding down. Lynn Ramsey. I'm looking Radical. at Brandon, who has no idea. 
<laughs> we're even still recording. We have to go because I have to walk to the Egyptian <laughs> just, to see Kiss Me Deadly. I, I'm just browsing the internet right yeah, now. You are. <laughs> I actually have to go. I have to wrap this up. This is Movies I Am. Oh, you can find us on Twitter on at at Movies I Am. <laughs> I'm lost in my mind. The works of Lynn Ramsey have made me insane. <laughs> They've traumatized Same. me. <laughs> Same. They've ruined me. Ruinous. Anyway. Uh, Maybe I'll go us. see We Will Never Really Hear Please Again. Please rate, review, subscribe. Rate. Review. Rate. Review. <laughs> subscribe. <laughs> Give us a substantial review on it's iTunes. It's quite substantial. Give us five stars because that will be our balance of reviews. Thank you. Who gave you the authority? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm Ben Empey. You can find me on Twitter at Real Todd Haynes. I'm Daniel Crook. You can find me on the internet at Daniel Crook with three O's. And I am going to go to the Egyptian now, and I'm going to see a film noir, and I'm going to dance in front of the light of the projector oh. like <gasps> that bitch Morvern Caller wow. dances to the red strobe light at the end of It's the Titular Roll, Morvern Caller. Nice. Wow. I'm Brandon Kirby. You can find me on Twitter at BK Kirby. So what are we going to do for the next six years before Lynn Ramsey releases another film? I know. I'm like, now I'm in withdrawals. I'll just rewatch. We should watch the shorts. I, mean, I haven't seen the shorts. All right. I'll do some I shorts. I will just be rewatching. We were never, never really here. We were never really here. For we are your friends. the rest of my life, every single day. It'll be like that month where I like just threw on Angels birth? of America every oh. day. Oh, yeah. I was going to say birth. Also birth. I did that with birth. Make You Were Never Really Here this year's birth where you just watch it like eight times in the course mm. of a week. My favorite. Mm. Mm. What are we talking about next week? Yeah, what are we talking next about week? next week? We're going to talk about Andrew Haig's new motion picture. So I don't we lean giddy on up, giddy up, <gasps> and ride straight out of this town. We should close us out high horse, high horse <laughs> movies. We're talking about boy and horse films, <laughs> in, in which is the best theme we've ever including done. the film Equus. <laughs> Which is my personal favorite boy and horse. Wait, film. and Equus and is not a film. Ben and I are. Yes, it is. Ben and it was I. Made in 1977. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were talking about the, the Harry Potter on stage. It's the same, it's the same, same thing. Dick movie. It's That's the same, the same thing. play. Yeah. I want to watch the play version, not the movie. Well, if you can find a torrent, we'll watch it. All yeah. right. I mean, Jesus. Bitch. Ben and I will also be throwing down the gauntlet over Steven Spielberg's War Horse, mm. which has been. Oh. One might say, um, making me rewatch the that film that's poop. been stuck in our collective craw as friends forever. Because it's uh, trash. Maybe I'll turn over a new leaf on it's it. Trash. Maybe you will. It's not trash. You know, I'm very it's trash. All right. What I else mean, are we I'm watching? Like Tintin. So. Love Tintin. We're not watching Black Stallion, are we? That I was think on so. the list. God, fuck off. I haven't I seen so. that. <laughs> I believe those are our only two pieces of homework. Is There's War Horse. three pieces. War Horse, the Black Stallion. Oh, and if... And Equus. Well, by the time this drops, we'll already have recorded the next episode. I'm also but. watching 45 Years and the Looking Motion Picture. Oh, Okay, nice. well, that's good for homework then. Thank you. I imagine we'll Thank mostly talk about Equus. We will just talk about Equus and fucking the horse. Yeah. Dude, does he fuck the horse? That's the plot of the movie. A that moment what? of love becomes a you crime and of your passion. Love horse. The horse. You and your He's in a love sexual relationship horse. with a horse. And mm. It's nominated for three Oscars. Richard Burton. They thought he was going to win Richard the Oscar. Burton. 
for fucking the horse. But no, he's the therapist. The boy fucks the horse. <laughs> Not the grown man Richard Burton. <laughs> have you never seen this horse. movie? No, clearly I have not. It's a good movie. Can't wait to cry. I did, oh my god. Okay, so um my so this is the last thing I'm going to say on tonight on tonight's episode. But how fun that two episodes in a row we're doing British filmmakers mm. taking a look at class America. in rural or not rural, but just in lower yeah. class America. America. Great. That's it for me. But as we know from the news, only Lean on Pete is about the real America because it's about white. I will say one more thing. Rural humans. I, I'm so surprised that you didn't like Ratcatcher because even though it's not about people who voted for Trump, it's about people who, if they didn't live in 1970s, Britain, I did like Ratcatcher. What? No, no. But I'm surprised you didn't like give it five stars because they would have voted for Brexit. Sure, they would have. Yeah. I mean, I just have some like formal issues. No, I'm just trying to make a joke. I'm just saying. It's not as I didn't mean anything by it. It's not as. Narratively sharp as her other three films, like Walking on Broken Glass. It's not as crisp. It's not as crisp as her other three films to me. I tweeted this, but I am going to say it again on the mic, which is that like, I love the idea that like someone could watch a Lynn Ramsey movie and be like, I thought it was really not a pleasant watch. (laughs) And I'm like, do you really think that Lynn Ramsey didn't want you to walk over all that broken glass when she Mm -hmm. stole your shoes, broke those bottles, and put a red strobe light in the corner? Are people confused that they're Unpleasant so, watches. Some, some people don't like Lynn Ramsey movies. Uh, some have said it's not fun to watch. <laughs> I don't know. Some people are saying. <laughs> some people. Yikes. Okay, but now I'm getting angry again, so now I do mean it. I am shutting up. All right, goodbye. All right, bye. When you dance your feet! Jesus Christ. <laughs> the winner is Jane Fonda. Thank you. Thank you very much, members of the Academy, and thank all of you who applauded. There's a great deal to say, and I'm not going to say it tonight. I would just like to really thank you very much.